Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. It's easy to forget sometimes that this isn't the only thing that is happening in this building right now. For instance, the kids' ministry just below us is meeting with kids and ministering to them. Several of you know this because you were seen dropping your kids off and then skipping down the hallway saying, we're free, we're free. <laughs> you know who you are. We got it on surveillance cameras. But that, that ministry, and by the way, it is a ministry. It's not babysitting. That is happening downstairs right now is vital is a huge part of this church. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Would you join me in praying for the children and those who are leading them right now? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your goodness and your love, Lord. We build our lives on you and the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's our desire to see the children of this church, of this generation, building their life on the hope of Christ as well. Lord, we thank you for the children that are here. Protect them, God. We pray that you would teach them deep truths about your love, about Jesus who came to be their Savior, and about the power we have for living, Lord. Would you use our leaders? Give them patience, God. Give them strength. Give them clarity. Use them, Lord, to to plant seeds that will grow up into young people who live for you and serve you all the days of their life. Lord, we pray that you would send us more children. Lord, we pray that that you would send us more leaders to work with those children. And we pray, God, that we would be a church committed to equipping the next generation in faith. And now, Lord, speaking of equipping, would you teach us? Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you, God. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let me tell you about 18th century England. Go back to the 1700s in England. It was a decadent time in English culture. It was, a, it was a moral quagmire. It was a spiritual cesspool there. Deism was the prevailing philosophy of the day. Deism is this idea that there is a God, but he's totally detached from our reality. They doesn't have any, any, any uh, experience or any uh, activity in this world. And what does that do? It takes people off the hook to do whatever they want because God is so distant and he doesn't have his eye on what's happening here. And so because of this, the church also began to be morally weak. The church was teaching this abstract morality to people and the church in England in the 1700s was waning. Speaking of morality, morality in England at this time was pretty, pretty, pretty terrible. Drunkenness, gambling, all these things were a part of the culture. They were rampant. But not only that, they would take babies, newborns, and dispose of them in the streets. 
Isn't it interesting? Whenever society starts to crumble, one of the telltale signs that's happening is a lack of sanctity for human life. One of the reasons that you hear us talking about this, that we partner with choices. One of the reasons we sent a busload of people to D.C. this week to stand for life is because we believe in the sanctity of life. It's important to us. But I digress. England in the 1700s, a place that was falling apart. The church was right there in the middle of it. And one of the big problems in England at that time was the weakness of the church. But in the midst of all that, something called the Great Awakening began to blossom in 1700s England. God rose up leaders in the church like Whitfield and Wesley and Edwards, and they prayed boldly, and they preached the gospel to all people. They equipped the lay people the members of the church, and sent them out to do ministry. Denominational barriers began to be knocked down. And this movement began in the church. It's powerful. Read about it. You can do some studying of your own. And here's what happened. The church, Christians, began to speak out against the slave trade. The church, the Christians, began to, to seek to reform the prisons. The church, the Christians, they began to defend the poor. All these things happened during the Great Awakening. There was this wave that engulfed 18, 1700s England, and it spilled over to the 13 colonies. It had impacted who we are as a nation today. It's incredible things. And you know, I think we probably hear about this and we perceive it and we think about it and we think about it in the same light that we think about the Pittsburgh Pirates winning the World Series in 1979. It's hard to imagine that it ever happened. <laughs> it's hard to believe it'll ever happen again. That's how we feel about the Great Awakening. It seems so detached from our reality. It seems like something that could, we could never fathom happening again. You know, I wonder this. I wonder that as a church in America, or even a church right here at Christ Church, if we're even hungry for this kind of thing to break out among us, I mean, do we desire to see God transforming lives of all people? Do we desire to see a sweeping wave of a movement happening through the church, impacting culture, changing the world? Do we want that? I, I love it. Yeah, come on. We want it. Well, let me, let me say this to you then. You cannot ignore the truth that God wants to use you and you and you and you and all of us to be a part of this work. You can't ignore that. There's something that's required of us, not only corporately, but individually, if we are going to see this kind of movement in our nation, in our world again. Now, the good news is this. The Scriptures, the Bible, is a handbook for how movements like this begin. And so today, we're going to continue in our study of Ephesians chapter 4. 
We're going to be looking at how the church is way bigger than Sunday. Are you with me? All right, come on, let's do it. Let's dive into Ephesians 4. We're going to look at this text. So today, I'm, I'm going to help us understand this text by using something called the golden circle. Some of you are familiar with this. There's a famous TED Talk on the golden circle. It's probably one of the most watched or most viewed TED Talks. And it's a really simple diagram that will help us understand what this passage is saying. And it moves in concentric circles from what to how to why. And the why part is the bullseye for a reason because the why is the reason why movements begin. It's what makes things work. And we have to understand the why before we dive into the the what and the how. Although we will start with the what. So let's look at this passage. Let's jump in in Ephesians 4, verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. But more than that, it's the finger of the Holy Spirit of God that moved through Paul to provide these words for us. These are the words of the Lord for us. Let's read them together. But to each, of, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Well, what does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So we need a little bit of a Bible lesson to understand this. You know, it says that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then there is this quote. He says, this is why it says, and the it that he's referring to is the Old Testament. This is actually a quote from Psalm 68, particularly verse 18. And it harkens back to the Exodus, the Exodus of the Israelites coming out of slavery, slavery in Egypt. And it talks about the fact that God is going in triumph before his people. You can imagine, you can envision the Israelites walking through the parted Red Sea, the Egyptians being taken captive by the waves, those who were captives held by slavery, walking out into freedom. You see it? And not only that, then God in the wilderness blesses his people. He blesses them with food from heaven. He blesses them with his presence. He blesses them with his law. He's with his people. And Psalm 68 is a cry for God to do it again. It's the psalmist saying, God, would you deliver your people again? God, would you rescue your people again? God, would you bring victory to your people again? And Paul is saying, there's a point for us here. There's something for us to glean. And he puts it in parentheses here for us. We could call him parenthetical Paul. Paul puts it in parentheses for us. And he starts to expound, what does this all mean? What's the the meaning? What's the true fulfillment of Psalm 68? And he speaks about this one who had ascended, but he says in order to ascend, one must first descend. Well, think about it. Who has ascended? Who has descended? Of course, the answer everyone is Jesus. We know this, right? I mean, think about it. Jesus descended first and foremost. What did he do? He came from heaven. He's always existed. He took on the form of a man. He came to earth and humbled himself 
as a servant, even unto death on a cross. Jesus descended, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus also ascended. He was resurrected, and he has been glorified in heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He has ascended. So Jesus has descended, he's ascended, and listen, he has taken captives. He's taken captive the powers and principalities of darkness. The enemy's efforts are forever vanquished because of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Now this has personal application to all of us. In particular, I wouldn't doubt it if there's someone who needs to hear this today. If you are carrying the guilt of sin into this place with you today, and if you wonder if the things that you have done in your life, things you've said, the acts that you have actually done in your life, the the things that you've left undone, if any of those things haunt you in this place today, and you wonder if you're guilty, this message is for you. If you're walking into this place today, feeling like your life is shrouded in darkness, so much pain, so much trouble that you're carrying in, this message is for you. If you're someone who's coming in here today and you're fearing death, whether it's for yourself or someone you love, this message is for you. Jesus has conquered the powers of darkness and death for you, for us. And so when we read about this this conqueror who's ascended and has also descended, it is talking about Jesus. He is the one who has come. And not only has he come, he has given his people gifts. It's phenomenal. You know, in, in ancient times, whenever a conqueror would conquer a nation, a tribute would be given to them. Gifts would be given to them. Money, treasure. And then there would also be a distribution of that largesse. The, the, the booty, so to speak, the treasure would be divided among the people. You see? And so what does the Scripture teach us here? It teaches that God, through Jesus Christ, who's conquered, does the same thing. He is distributing gifts to His people. So listen, the, the, the what that we're talking about here. And we are talking about the what part of the golden circle. The what is this, that we have Jesus gifts. Jesus gives gifts to his people. That's the what that we're talking about. Now let's look at the how part of this, okay? So let's dive back into the scriptures here. Let's look at uh, verse 11, pick it back up of Ephesians 4. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, some of you are reading this and you're seeing this, this list of gifts that we're talking about. And this is, this is the how portion And you're seeing this gift and you're thinking, wait a minute. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, hey, I'm none of those. I am totally off the hook, not it. That's what you're thinking. I know who you are. I know you're thinking this kind of thing. And listen, that's not the case at all. You see, in the New Testament, 
There are five different lists of spiritual gifts, five of them. And among those five lists, there are 20 different gifts that are listed. I mean, things like acts of mercy, which seem very unsensational. There are all sorts of different gifts that are listed. And here's the sense that we get from the scriptures, that none of these are considered to be an exhaustive catalog that these aren't the only gifts. So if you're looking at this list and saying, well, that's not me. I guess I don't have anything to do in this church. It's not true because we know this is true. Every person who believes in Jesus, every person who considers themselves to be a Christian because they follow Christ, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. One spiritual gift. But the thing is, I don't think that the church acts like that is true. I don't believe that the people of the church believe in that reality necessarily because it doesn't bear out. I mean, if we were to look at the numbers of people who are serving, for instance, in this local body, we would find that it's not 100% of the people. There are not 100% of the people in this church who who are acting according to their giftedness. This reminds me of my home life. So my wife, Lisa, is an incredibly hard worker. I mean, incredible hard worker. She never rests, and she serves her family like no one else. It's really, really incredible. I'm very grateful for it. In fact, I mean, she, she takes care of the laundry. She cooks meals for us. She teaches our children. She, she takes care of the bills. Honestly, she's almost too good. I can't believe I get to live with this woman. And here's the thing that the kids and I find ourselves doing. We fake incompetence. (laughs) We act like we're not able to do anything. So, hey, hey, honey, would you put that cup in the dishwasher? You just organize it so much better than I do. Mm -hmm, Right? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like this too. Men, you know what I'm talking about. Or, hey, honey, will you fold my, my underwear for me? I'm just not as good at it. You know, my fingers, I'm not great at that kind of thing. Or when we had babies. Oh, it seems like every time I put a diaper on the baby, it just falls off. Can you do it, honey? It's like a one-woman show. We fake incompetence, people. And my wife is too good. She does it all. It's, it's, it's really kind of sad and pathetic in our case. You know what? In the church... I think sometimes we fake incompetence. Sure, look, pastors can pray. Robbie got up here and read the scriptures. There there are staff people who work with children. There are people who work like Ed Glover sitting here in the front row and Tammy who serve in urban missions, right? There's lots of people who are on staff and do those kind of things, but we fake incompetence sometimes, I believe, and act like, well, they're the ones who are supposed to do that job, not me. It's like me with my wife at home. And church, that should not be the case. We can't fake incompetence anymore. If we're going to see a movement, it's going to take all of us acting according to our giftedness, which has been given by God. And notice this, the gifts that are listed in this passage, these gifts are all teaching gifts. They're all teaching gifts, and they have a purpose. Did you see the purpose here? These gifts all have a purpose, and the purpose is this, to equip God's people for works of service. It's for you. The purpose is that the people of the church would be built up and launched into ministry. That's why he's appointed some to be teachers and pastors. 
so that you would be built up. The word that's actually used here in the Greek is diakonia. And diakonia is used to describe the work of all God's people without exception. It is not referring here to only the professional staff people. Do you hear me? Listen, the biblical vision of the church is every member ministry. Every member ministry. That's what it's all about. We should coin that phrase, Rob. We gotta get down some shirts around here. Every member ministry, we're all signed up for it. So let me give you some examples if you need them. Okay, we mentioned the children's ministry. There are people who, who, teach, who teach the little children. We start from preschool and we teach them all the way from when they're little itty bitties until they get to upper elementary. We are teaching them a curriculum. We're teaching them about Christ. We are, we are instilling the gospel in them. You could be a part of that team. We have ushers who serve today. You had, you had some ushers who, who passed you a bulletin, who greeted you at the door, who helped you get some, whatever your needs might be, they're available for those kind of things. You could serve in that capacity. We could go on and on and on in ways that you could serve within this church, but it doesn't end there. I mean, I was in a meeting this week where we were talking about the 25th anniversary of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Isn't that fun? And we were talking about the things we want to do. And you know what we need? We need project managers. We need people to help us coordinate details and make things happen. If that's you, you should come and tell me that. I want to work with you. We, we need photographers. We have some people who provide great photography for us. We have so many things going on. We need more people to take great pictures so we can use social media in a positive way to tell people what's happening in the body here at Christ Church. We need people to take great pictures for us. Is that you? We need you. It even goes beyond that. I heard this week that Choices is in need of doctors, OBGYN doctors, to come and serve as a part of their ministry. Look, the ways in which you can serve the church are limitless. Here's what we want to do. We want to multiply ministry. We want to multiply ministry here. Look, I pray that the entrepreneurial spirit breaks free in this church and that there's all sorts of creative ideas that fall on your hearts in ways that you can serve in the ministry because God has called you to it. And we're here to equip you in the ministry so that you can do the works of service in this world. The biblical, I'll say it again, the biblical vision of the church is every member ministry, all of us. And so that means this, if you are sitting on the sidelines, then you are not fulfilling the call of Christ in your life. You're not. You're called to step it up, so get in the game. So our what is that we've got these Jesus gifts. We have these gifts from Christ. The how is every member ministry. Let's look at the why now. Back to the scriptures. We jump back in in verse 13, picking up just the tail end of 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. I'm blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, each part does its work. I love it. The picture of the church is a body, every part doing its work. It doesn't, it doesn't work unless every part does its work. And so the goal that we see listed here, did you catch it? The goal, the why is this. It is maturity. The goal is that we would all be made mature in Jesus Christ. That we would attain the fullness of him in maturity as we participate in the ministry of the body. This applies to all of us. All of us. Notice this. The Apostle Paul, who is one of the probably more impressive human beings who's ever lived. Brilliant man. Lasting legacy for generations upon generations all over the world. What does that person say? He uses the pronoun we as he talks about maturity. He says so that we, he includes himself in it, so that we may be made mature. He says it twice in this passage. Now, if Paul, a man who encountered Jesus, the risen Christ, on the road to Damascus, called to ministry, used by God to write letters which have equipped the church for ages, can say that I need to grow in maturity, what does that mean about all of us? Let's be honest, we all need to grow in maturity. No matter if you've been following Christ for 50 years or if you've been following him for 50 days, there is an opportunity for each of us to grow in our maturity and it happens in the context of the church. I'll tell you something else about this maturity. When you consider that Paul says that his aim, his aspiration is to grow in maturity, it helps us then understand and process our interactions with one another. It helps us know and expect that we will experience immaturity within the body of Christ. So listen, as you experience people in your life, especially in the context of the church, don't be surprised if people act immaturely. In fact, we should be gracious to one another. But I'll tell you, there's another side to that coin. And the other side of the coin is this. Don't put up with your own immaturity. If you find yourselves slinking into ways that don't reflect maturity that's in the scriptures for us, then you should challenge yourself to grow. Perhaps you need to have a mentor in your life. Perhaps you need to be discipled. Perhaps you need to repent. But there is an opportunity for each of us to consider how we can be made mature. Maturity through unity. This is what the scriptures say. Maturity through unity, which comes from knowing trusting and growing up in Christ is the goal of the church. And here's the thing, this maturity is so that we will be like a shining city on a hill, bringing glory to Christ, doing his kingdom work everywhere that we go, living lives as families that are pleasing to God, living lives in our communities that are redemptive, we are called to be that kind of church. So look at the golden circle. The what? Those are the gifts of Jesus. They're given 
The how, how does God do it? He does it through every member ministry we're all called. And why does he do it? To call us unto maturity. You know, you think back to the Great Awakening in the 1700s, there in England where it all began. And you had people who were living in a culture that was crumbling. I mean, church attendance in the 1700s in England was taking a nosedive. People were concerned about the direction of the country. I don't know if I said it earlier, but, but there are quotes that say that Britain was falling apart to a degree that had never been seen in the modern world, especially in a Christian nation. It was falling to pieces. Well, in the midst of that, the people were not complacent. They weren't complacent. They preached the gospel boldly. They equipped every member and sent them out. They knew that the church was way bigger than Sunday. And they believed in every member ministry. And they saw a wave sweep across their nation. Does our nation need that? Do, do the people in Pittsburgh need that? I would say they do. You know, this this week, I was at the gym. I've joined a local gym. You could pray for me. I'm, you know, I, got, I, I have to look. They say the, the screen adds 15 pounds. That's not the only thing that adds 15 pounds. So do nachos and cookies. So I'm going to the gym, and, I, and I've met some people there, and there was a guy who came over to me just on Friday and introduced himself to me and said, hey, my name is so-and-so. And he started asking me about myself and, and how long I've been around. And then he said something that really stood out to me. And he said it twice. He said, this gym has good people in it. He was really proud of this. He said it twice. He said, this gym has really good people in it. Like he was selling me on the gym. I already have a membership. Well, there was another guy who was within earshot. And he kind of came over and he concurred there were good people there. And he also added this. He said, you know, I come here each morning to get my head clear. I just need to get here and get my head clear at the gym. Well, this conversation stood out to me, and I walked away from it, and I got in my car afterwards, and it dawned on me that these men were speaking about their gym experience. And by the way, neither one of them are in very good shape. These men, <laughs> these men were talking about their gym experience like we would talk about the church. You know, what, what do they talk about? Community. There's good people here. Community. He goes and he gets beers with his friends afterwards, Right? He wants community. The other guy talking about just getting some peace, you know, getting, he, he wants peace. And where is he going to find that? A gym. He's committed to it. They're, they're, they're showing up four or five days a week. Isn't the church supposed to fill that void in the community? Shouldn't the church be a place where people are coming to seek community, where people are coming, they're finding peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ? It should. And listen, don't you want that kind of community right here? It won't happen without all of us. We together need to link our arms and work together and partner even with other churches and other ministries to be a part of this wave in our community. And listen, it's going to take every member. We'll throw up our sleeves. Let's get to work. Are you with me in this? Let's bow our heads in prayer and commit this to God. God, as we hear this message, it's tempting for it to be nothing but inspiration. 
a rah-rah speech. But I pray, Lord, that because it comes from your holy word, that it would have more weight than anything that I could ever say from this platform, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would seal these words upon this congregation, and that, God, you would send us out, every member, working in accordance with the gifts you've given us to be a part of your kingdom work, Lord. And Lord, we desire to see yet another great awakening. We desire, God, to see a movement take place. And Lord, would you begin it even here? Or would you join us to wherever it has begun? We don't care where it begins. We just want to be a part of it. I pray, Lord, you would tap people on the shoulder. And the doctors and photographers and project managers and teachers and prayer warriors would be elevated and joined in unity to serve your church and to proclaim the gospel far and wide. Use us, Lord, to make an impact in our world. God, we love you. God, help us. Lord, we want to serve you and live for you. I pray, Father, through the Holy Spirit, you would do something in our church, something through us, that goes way beyond our natural abilities and that you would be about the work of redemption, both here in our city and all around the world. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.